Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'm Josh De La Rosa, and today we're in the third part of this series called No One is Immune. And we're looking at the questions that sort of come up in our mind when trouble strikes us suddenly. And have you ever thought to yourself or maybe even said this statement out loud? Well, they deserved it. It's one of those thoughts or statements we might have, might struggle to admit this, but I'm probably not the only person who's ever had this thought cross my mind, if I'm truly honest. And this sentiment, it can get pretty dark, can't it? I mean, it's all over movies and shows where you, you watch the villain and the, and the hero going back and forth, and then you might even applaud when the villain gets taken out and justice is served and it seems well that was well deserved. And I think when you when you search on this phrase, well they deserved it, you find all sorts of imagery. Memes like this all over the web when you type in they deserved it. In fact, Kid Rock, the singer, he even wrote a song and the lyrics are you get what you put in and people get what they deserve. Now what about you? Have you ever had this thought come to your mind, you know, they deserved it? I know, if I'm honest, I, I've had that thought before. Sometimes it's something simple like I'm driving down the road and I see pulled over to the side of the road a street racer. It's pulled over and there's someone, you, you know, a policeman riding a ticket, CHP riding a ticket to them. And I might think, well, they were probably speeding. They deserved it. Or, or maybe I hear about some famous celebrity or, or personality or politician caught breaking the law. And, you know, I'm not proud of it, but this thought has come to my mind before. I remember even once in high school watching a fight. And seeing this guy get beat up and, 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 but it was, it was a bully. It was a guy that always bullied people. And it seemed like, uh, someone finally had it and he was getting pounded and, and not, nobody went in to break this up. So whether we're talking about bullies on the playground, convicted criminals, or people with, you know, patterns of really despicable behavior, this thought comes up is, you know, maybe they deserve that. Now, I want to look at, in this message today, I want to look at this idea uh, in light of why do good things happen to bad people? That just doesn't seem to make sense. Here's where we've been so far in this series. Week one, we looked at why does God allow so much suffering? And then last week, we looked at why do bad things happen to, to good people? And both of those are on our website here. You can, you can check those things out anytime or review. We've covered a lot of ground, and it's been sort of building uh, an idea of, of what does the Bible say about trouble and, and how God interacts with us? But today I want to look at why do good things happen to bad people? And I want to use a story that you may have heard before. It's the story of a man named Jonah. He is the only prophet who tried to ignore and run away from God. It's almost an unbelievable story. When you read it in full, it's almost like, what? Did this, did this really happen? So I want to comment as I read through it. And I want to highlight how the Bible actually answers this question of why do good things happen to bad people. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. So here's a, here's a map. And God was instructing Jonah to go from where he was at to Nineveh. He was going to preach to them. 
they were bad people. They were evil people. Their wickedness had, had, had gone too far. And God was sending this prophet Jonah to them to preach and, and to warn them that they needed to repent now. Verse 3, Jonah got up to flee. <laughs> this is his response to God's command. He flees to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So, where is that? So, here's where Jonah is. Another uh, image here for you. Here's an image of where Jonah is. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the other direction. So, he goes to the nearest port city, port area, village, Joppa. And he hops onto a ship to head to Tarshish, which is far away in Spain. says he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So here's the scenario. God speaks to you and, and he says, hey you, I, I'm, I'm sending you to the darkest and to the dirtiest people in Las Vegas. You, you need to go now and you need to warn those people and plead with them to repent before it's too late. And you look at God and you go, and so you immediately, you hop into your car and you head to Long Beach. You go the other direction. You go to Long Beach because it's a port city. And you board the Catalina Express. And you hop aboard the Catalina Express and you kick up your feet and you begin to imagine life on the sandy beach of Catalina. Not a care on your mind. And so you drift off to sleep. That's what Jonah was doing. Everything was going great. He gets on the ship and and everything is just cruising until this. Verse 4. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. And the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god. So everyone is freaking out. The, the sailors are crying out to their gods, but it's having no effect. Nothing is settling down. It says, And they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. And he's dreaming of Catalina. Not really. He's dreaming of Tarshish. But Tarshish is the southern tip of Spain. This is this great destination, and he's got that on his mind. He's sleeping. Verse 6, the captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll all know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. This was sort of an ancient method of decision-making, sort of like drawing straws and they would roll these dice, and, and through the roll of the dice, the cast of the lots, it turned out Jonah was at fault. So they said to him, tell us, who's to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business, and where are you from? He answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. You know, the one who made it all and controls it all? I worship that God. In verse 10, then the men seized by fear, by great fear, and said to him, what is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that, the, so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They, they didn't have it in them. They didn't think it would be right to throw them overboard. So they start trying to paddle back. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. 
And so they called out to the Lord. Now they cry out to God. Jonah's God. Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Now this is evidence right here that people get spiritual. They get religious even uh, when it's an emergency. So they're crying out to God. Then they picked up Jonah because nothing else was working. And they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And the men, it says, were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Why? Well, they cried out to their gods to no effect. But this God that they're crying out to, this God had the power to bring everything under control. He could control all of the elements. And they're amazed. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. So Jonah thrown into the sea and he starts sinking. I don't know how long you can hold your breath, but um, you know, n- not super long time, but God appointed a rescue plan for Jonah. He, he appoints a fish, a great fish, to swallow Jonah. This was God's provision and God's protection for this man, Jonah. And it says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And people debate over what this was. Was it a whale? Was it a whale shark? Was it a shark? What, what, what exactly was this? And was this even possible? So here's a picture of a blue whale. It's a giant whale. The size of the blue whale is, is equivalent to like three school buses. So could this happen? Could, could a, a full-grown man fit inside of a whale? Absolutely. God provides, it says, this great fish to swallow Jonah, to pretty much rescue him. And later, when, when Jonah reflected on this whole story, he writes you know, this, this book, Jonah, he, he writes this down, and he wrote out that he prayed in the belly of the whale. And so we get to read from this uh, chapter 2 and see what he prayed from within the great fish. So chapter 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from a deep inside Sheol. That's sort of the pit. He's in the dark spot. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the hearts of the sea. Seas and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. So as he's sinking and thinking, I'm in trouble. He cries out to God. He turns his heart, his attention, his focus, and he prays. He prays towards God's temple. This is just poetic language. He's describing what he's going through. It says, the water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the mountain foundations of the mountains the earth's gates shut behind me forever so he's he's sinking deeper and deeper but then you raised my life from the pit lord my god and as, as my life was fading away i remembered the lord and my prayer came to you to your holy temple those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love but as for me i will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving i will fulfill what i have vowed salvation belongs to the lord He's saying, I know you're, you're the only hope of all people. You can save anyone. And, and I'll fulfill my vow. I'll do what you're asking me to do. So at a certain point, God hits the eject button. And it says in verse 10, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Right about that time, he decides, I'm going to obey what God says. And so, verse chapter 3, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Now, this is essentially the same thing, but this time, rather than fleeing, why did he flee? Well, God, these are bad people. They don't deserve you to 
they don't deserve this message. They just deserve the judgment, is what Jonah's thinking. So, but this time, same message. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach the message that I tell you. It says, Jonah got up. And he went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. You don't have a lot of time. This is his message. Repent. says, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of these to the least. So there's this sweeping heart change. Conviction, repentance. They dress in sackcloth, symbolic of their state of repentance. They start fasting, meaning directing all their attention to God. They're not eating or drinking. That God, you have our attention. And then it says, verse 6, When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He does the same thing. And then he issued a decree in Nineveh. Here's the decree of the king. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And it says in verse 10, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. And so God relented from the disaster he had, not thre- he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. So God used Jonah's message to prompt this group of people, the king and everyone. And there's this national repentance and God held back his judgment. And it didn't come. Not at that moment. And we would think that Jonah would have been super encouraged, and maybe especially because it was his it was his effort. His message really seemed to make a difference. Well, look at his response. Chapter four, verse one. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? You would think he would be encouraged, but instead he's ticked to see this national response. God, he, he, he didn't want to see them change. He didn't want to see this heart change. He thought they deserved punishment. So think about this for a moment. Our, our country is so deeply divided politically. But I want you to imagine for a moment that your political arch enemy, that person, whoever that is, who currently stands for everything you can't stand, shows up to your church. They show up and, and they, they want to put Christ first and they want to, and they begin to invade your friendship circle. Shake your hand, they introduce themselves and, and they want to meet you, they want to know you and, they, and, and, and then they start bringing their old circle slowly into your, into your church. And, and Well, how would you receive them? Jonah He's displeased. He, he becomes furious. He prays to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. God, I knew, Jonah says, I knew that this is who you are. You're a compassionate God. And I was afraid you'd forgive them. I, would, I was afraid that if they, if they 
were to turn and repent, you'd forgive them. And God, why? Why'd you do that? Verse 3. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, that's awfully extreme, isn't it, Jonah? And the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Seriously? Verse 5. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it, and he made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. So he goes to the edge of the city, finds a little place off to the east, and he builds a little shelter, and he's just watching. He's watching uh, to see. Maybe God will change his mind again, and maybe the fire will come. He's just watching. But then in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. So he's sitting out there. He made a shelter and sat in the shade of the shelter. But God allows this. God appoints this plant to grow up quickly, provide some extra shade. Now, sort of like if you're watching a a soccer game and, and it's super hot, and you find a big shade tree. A lot of people, they flock to those shade trees. Well, he's enjoying this shade. God provided, God appointed this, this plant to sort of give him some shade, some refreshment. And Jonah, it says, was greatly pleased with the plant. Verse 7, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. So first God appoints a plant, now he appoints a worm to eat the plant, and it withers. Now God is not limited. He can direct all creation to serve his purposes. We see that throughout this whole story from uh, the sea to the, um, the great fish, plant, the worm here. And as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. Now God appoints the wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that so much that he almost fainted. And he wanted to die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. He replied, I'm angry enough to die. Now this would make, I think, for a great movie. Let's keep reading. Last two verses. So the Lord said, You cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals. Really? Really, Jonah? You're that frustrated about this plant? You had nothing to do with it. You didn't grow it. You enjoyed it. You're, you're so frustrated about this. Uh, and God, God expresses, I care about this group of people. It's a, it's a huge number of people. This sure gets to the heart of the issue. Jonah, all of these people, they matter to me. And Jonah, like me, has a lot to learn about this area. So, so I want to walk through, biblically, how are we to understand what do we do when good comes to bad people? Why does it come? And last week we actually looked at the fact that since the fall of man, since the sin of Adam, everybody is imperfect and sinful. Everybody goes their own way. And so we don't really deserve God's goodness. But we still experience God's goodness. And I want to, I want to sort of trace how we can see good comes into our life. Good in life actually comes. I want to sort of flush this out, this idea. So first, it comes to those who live on this planet. So everybody on planet Earth, throughout the regions of this Earth, God extends his kindness to them. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 44. 
He told he told his disciples, he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Well, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You'll reflect your Father. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God allows all people to experience the good of his creation. We call this common grace. We get to experience the, the grace of God. Everybody. Everyone has this in common. We get to experience the grace, the goodness, or the goodness, the mercy even, of God. The kindness of God. Even even though without Christ our sin, the Bible is really clear, our sin has separated us from God for eternity. But here on earth, he still allows all people to enjoy so many aspects of his goodness, of his kindness, like the sun, like the rain. And those are great examples, like our health, like enjoyment. Whenever enjoyment comes, that's that's God's goodness. I mean, he also holds back. We don't see it, but he holds back. He pushes, he restrains so much evil that could overwhelm us, overtake us. But this goodness that we experience, this is short of salvation for those who don't turn to Christ. So there's good, yes, on earth, but if you don't ever turn to Christ, then bad things in eternity you know, bad things do eventually happen to sinful people, to bad people. But another thing, though, good in life comes to those who follow natural laws. So you have uh, you have this in Galatians six verse seven. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever or for whatever a person sows, he will reap. Whatever you plant in life, you're going to reap from that. Good comes when you sow good. You reap good things from that. There's this law here. Good can come if you'll sow good things. If you do good. If you follow some of the natural laws, I mean, good things can, can come back. You can experience good by following. Uh, also, Proverbs fourteen twenty three: There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. So similarly, hard work in life produces good things. So if you see a person that is does um, work hard in their job, they experience some of the some of the return of their hard work. Even people without faith. I mean, this is clear. We see this all over the place. If someone works hard, good things come. Now, this is, again, something that God uh, provides for people who, who live on the planet. <clears throat> good in life also comes to those who, who live among those who help preserve them. This is an interesting thing we see in Scripture. Uh, so, Genesis chapter 18, there's a story of this another vile city, a wicked city, Sodom and Gomorrah. God is... He is um, bringing judgment upon this city. And he's asked a question. And here's the question, Genesis 18.32. Then he said, let my Lord not be angry, and I will speak on more, one more time. Suppose ten are found there. Ten righteous people are found uh, in, in this city, this wicked city. Will you spare it, God? And he answered, I will not destroy it on account of ten. If there are ten righteous people in that city, I'll spare the city. Well, God, there wasn't. As many people. But God was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if he found ten righteous people. In fact, Jesus urged his followers to see this as their role. He, we're to see ourselves as, as light bearers, as, as preserving agents on the earth. So if you look at Matthew chapter 5, we actually see uh, that Jesus tells us, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? Again, don't miss out on Fulfilling your purpose, salt is a preservative. You're a preserving agent. Your life, you can help preserve the good in our society. 
It's no longer good for anything but to be, once it's no longer salty, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If it's not doing what it was made to do, then it's losing its, its, its function. It's sort of worthless. So be the salt of the earth, Jesus says. It also tells them you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it in their basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So he's saying, live it. Shine the light brightly. You're, you, you have a role. You, you, you have a, an opportunity to help preserve the good here and now. I want to look a little deeper into this. Look specifically at how God extends his kindness in these specific ways. First, in demonstrating his love for sinners through sending his son. So Romans 5.8 teaches us this. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God carried out his plan for us. That should communicate a great deal about God's heart for us. He cares so deeply for us. You know, we have problems. God demonstrated his love by sending his son Jesus. Now, how many problems in our world do we just sort of drive past, walk past, glance past? God acted, though. He acted. He saw the problem, and he acted in the most sacrificial way as he sent his son on a rescue mission to earth. God is love, and this is a major part of his character. He demonstrated it through sending his son. Also, he extends his kindness in this way, leading some to repent. Repentance just means I'm going one way and I, I turn around. Repentance means to turn around, to stop going the sinful direction. So Romans 2.4, or do you despise richness, the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You see, when God is kind to us, he's doing that because he wants us to stop going the other way. He wants us to, to turn towards him. Very similarly, Peter wrote this. He wrote, the Lord, in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay his promise. Like, he's, he's going to come back, he's going to return, he'll wrap up history. As some, The Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you. He's not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, God's, the delay on, on Christ's return to the earth to wrap up history is that he wants more people to repent and not perish. We see this for sure in Jonah's story. God is giving the Ninevites, he's giving them time to repent. Now, we struggle with the idea of seeing some people repent. If we're honest, we just struggle. We, we want to see this person repent. That's, that's exciting. That, oh, how neat. What a neat story. We have a hard time. We would identify this person. We just don't think they should be given an opportunity to repent. Like Jonah. This is what Jonah was, was expressing. It says in Jonah chapter 4, again, verse 1 through 4. Take a look. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to live than to, to die than to live. And the Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Again, we struggle with the idea of seeing some people repent. This is the same attitude that we see in the, the story of the, the prodigal son. It's a story of a, it's a parable. So it's a, it's a, almost like a, 
just a, a story that Jesus makes up to drive home a point. And we find it in Luke chapter 15, and we have this father and these two sons, and one of the sons, the younger, asks his father to give him his inheritance early. And he, he spends all of his inheritance. He burns through all this money on wild and reckless living. And at a certain point, he realizes, I'm starving. I don't have a job. I, I'm, I, don't have, I don't have resources. I should go home. My father loves me. And so he goes home. And he goes home, and his father forgives him. His father is so happy to see him, and he throws a party. And he goes, the father goes to find this, this older brother, to say, hey, your, your brother's home. We're going to throw a party. We're going to, let's celebrate your brother's home. And I want you to look at the reply of the older brother to his father. This is found in Luke 15, verse 29. He replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. <laughs> but when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. The father says, son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We need to celebrate. We need to celebrate repentance when it truly occurs. God also extends his kindness through saving those who, who turn to Christ and receive him as Lord. I mean, this is a huge aspect of seeing his goodness, his kindness is he'll, he'll save people. He rescues people uh, from an eternity of separation from him. So Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. That's what happens. And because of our sin, we're cut off from God for all eternity. But this is the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what God has made available. A, a, a new life. Both now, here and now, and on into eternity. That's made possible through Jesus. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You make that declaration. Jesus is my Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Now, this is huge. We have a way to, to, to be saved from our sin, from the penalty of our sin. goes on. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. So there's a belief uh, matched with a confession, a statement of the declaration of, of my life. This is, this is all really, really good news. God has made a way for sinners to be forgiven. So let's shift for a moment back to Jonah. Jonah didn't really get God's perspective. I mean, Jonah asked, why do good things happen to bad people? The question maybe should have been, why does good happen to anybody at all? Why does good happen to any of us? I mean, that maybe is the right question. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't give everyone what they deserve because that would be you, that would be me. We can trust that God, he will be just. Our job is not to make sure that everyone gets what they deserve. Our job is to be grateful that God does not give us what we deserve. I mean, we, we experience his kindness, his mercy. Now, we've got to turn to Christ to experience all of that. But even if you never turn to Christ, people experience God's goodness. You see that in the world. But he wants you to experience life everlasting, eternal life, in a relationship with him. And so we can move our eyes onto the kindness of God, the way he's shown us his love, his mercy, his kindness. And, and we need to do that often. We need to just choose gratitude. So I hope as we've looked at this area that, that we've all gained a sense of gratitude for God's kindness towards us 
and other people. And take a moment to just take a look at, at this uh, opportunity to maybe reflect for a moment. This is on your listening guide. Uh, but maybe think through, what are five major acts of God's kindness and goodness? Maybe think through that for a moment. List out five major acts of kindness and goodness that have come to you from God. And then, why don't you take a moment to think through and write out God's recent acts of kindness and goodness. Maybe they're not these huge things, but you just look, and recently there's been these things you'd say, wow, God's been really kind to me. I didn't, I didn't deserve these things. I, I'm surprised, frankly, that, that I've received these things, but God has been so kind, so good. And, and have, have a moment to just reflect on that. Now, as we sort of wrap things up, I want to think through some next steps. First would be this, express gratitude for those specific encounters with God's goodness. You have those lists now? Now, thank the Lord. Express gratitude. Second, would you pray for someone far from God to turn towards him? Who, who is that person in your life that you'd be, be praying for, that, that they would repent, that they would stop going their own way, and they would turn towards God? And maybe for you, maybe you'd say you've been somewhat doing your own thing, on the run, a living independent from God, and maybe it's time to turn to Christ and explore a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. Let us know how we can help you with that. We would love to do that. You can respond on uh, your connection card. Uh, but thanks for joining us today. We would love to help you in your growth. And so let's pray as we, uh, as we bring all this to God in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, our time. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this story in the Bible of Jonah and, and just reading his story and then really honestly reflecting, we can see why this story is needed. We can see why we need to be reminded um, of this issue of gratitude uh, versus um, judgment and, and just judging people and, and, and wanting to see people get what we think they deserve. Lord, thank you that you haven't given us what we deserve. Lord, thank you that you've shown your kindness and mercy on us. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks. As we've thought through some ways of, that we've seen this, we give you thanks for your kindness. I pray, Father, that we would take the time often to do that. And, Lord, we lift up the many people in our lives that are just far from you and, and running in a different direction. We pray that you'd rescue them. Use us, Lord, uh, to show uh, love and, and concern and care and open up about the message of Jesus, Lord, with people that could unlock, that you could use God to unlock um, uh, and draw them uh, to life eternal. And so, Lord, we pray for that. And we thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.